0: anchor.fm just like yours truly Got sex and love. It's your girl Miracle sins and tonight we're talking to one of my dear friends, Miss Summer Sims. No relation, now no relation. <laughs> um, and I, you know what, I anticipate a very, very great, uh, colorful conversation. So if you're ready for this, then stay tuned. Mm. To God, Sex and Love. As I said to you all, I am here chatting with my dear, dear friend, Miss Summer Sims. Hi, Summer. How you doing? Hey. <laughs> she is Thank back. You for inviting me back. So uh, yeah, she is back. She is back. And uh we've been chit-chatting already. So y'all done missing stuff. Y'all done missing good. Just I, I don't know. I don't even know what this <laughs> episode is gonna be. But um, I just thank and praise God for it. I thank and praise God for Ms. Summer Sims. And let's get into it, Miss Summer. Let's get into it. So there's a lot of emotion that you shared shared uh, in these last few minutes that we just had a chat. And um, I don't know where you want to start. Uh, but, you know, again, this is a free, open space. And, um, yeah, let's get into it. So welcome back, Summer. Thank you, Summer.
1: Well, I know you did. We initially decided to discuss um, my spiritual journey. And I think it's really important to um, have these types of conversations with no matter, you know, whomever on their journey. And y'all forgive the already weepy eyes because, you know, I've been in it. Um, but there's been there's we touched on a bit of things the last conversation about church h- Church hurts. Um, things that when you're introduced to, you know, your Christian faith, um, you you kind of go in just kind of trusting everything, you know, and not really understanding that the people in the church are hurt, hurting, growing, developing, learning all of these things, just like you, and their human experience. Um, unfortunately bleeds over into your human experience and if you don't have like a certain support system that you can go to um, during these particular times I mean it's just gonna be emotionally difficult for you to know how to separate where God comes in and where human Flesh comes in to play, or ego, as I might call it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also, well, I don't know where you want to, like, have me just begin because it's just so much. So I could start in the middle of today and and still be a lot to cover. So I guess I want to just kind of touch on... I just want to give you some background, your people. Okay, so first of all... (laughs) let them know Um, I would first say you know yes I'm on God Sex and Love and it's a Christian based um, show and um, if you talk to me personally you will have a lot of questions like on where my stance is in the Christian faith because a lot of people will say, oh, some of you wear crystals, you know. Um you just do things that is not necessarily a welcomed practice. Let's just say it like that. Um, in a Christian faith, they'll say it's witchcraft or something similar. Now certain things that I have touched into, I will agree it is that. Um, but I think Um, there's just, there's just a bigger picture here about spiritual, uh, warfare and all of that, that we don't really believe is really happening. Um, it is really happening. So when you dig into something or you make yourself a part of something that you realistically, um, don't have, let's just say the spiritual background, the, um, you know, if you have, if you don't have that type of dynamic or a relationship with God that's strong enough to sustain you, I don't, just don't think that you should just, I think that's what the word says about not uh, being swayed by the wind, you know, by, um, I'm a misquote because I can't think of it, but it's about being uh, easily taken into something that's incorrect. Um, I'll find it and remind you of the scripture so you can tell everybody but um, it's just like being easily swayed All right, here's another one like how God says he despises lukewarm you either hot or you cold right if you Mm -hmm. lukewarm that means you're a fence rider Mm -hmm. and God don't know what to do with somebody who don't have a decision to make so spew you out right and so for me I just started in the beginning like when I was young um my parents I wouldn't consider my parents uh really uh religious people. I wouldn't I would not um now my gr- my grandparents were very religious on both sides but my mother's mother was the one who, would tell us that we had to come to church and stuff like that. Um, And when we would go to church, we just didn't understand. You know, like, it was like, okay, we know we're supposed to come and this is what we have to do. But we really didn't understand the things about God's love and your purpose or just how to live a righteous or holy life. You know, you know that you got told if you sit in, you're going to hell or all of those scare tactics is what I like to call them, fear-based um, doctrine. And that's the part that I disagree with because you, I do believe you can scare somebody so much that they just give up and feel like they're, if you don't give me the tools Uh, to be successful in what you're teaching me then I don't have no reason to believe that I can be successful when you know I'm born in sin and I'm destined to sin anyways how do I live how do I live the life that the word tells me I'm supposed to live so that I can go and be with the Lord how right so as a kid I didn't know but You know, I told you last time that I went through a sexual assault when I was 12 years old and my family just kind of hushed it out because it just was like a taboo conversation. So just like I brought up the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years, that's exactly how long it was quiet before I was able to vocalize. Hey, why didn't anybody care that this happened to me? Why was I told to be quiet? and act like it didn't happen to me. where was my protection from my parents you know um why didn't I receive any counseling you know where was my help um at that time I wasn't a member of a church I was because you know I'm 12 so you know it's my up to my parents But every now and then my my grandmother took me to church but that was not a situation where i would have ever felt comfortable sharing my story with the church or any person at the church so i just kind of fell off from going because of what was going on in my family you know um we left my grandmother's house and then i didn't go to church okay and so i lived with my father and that's just not what he did he worked he was a workaholic and he was just always at work sundays didn't make no difference for his schedule so we he was just always there and we was like a lot of times home alone um the first time i remember other than the time of the uh, sexual assault um the that's the first time i remember um ever talking to god ever acknowledging god and having a conversation physically like i remember being there and i don't want to be too graphic about the story but it doesn't bother me to tell the story it more so bothers me that people feel that i shouldn't tell it like that I shouldn't discuss it and um because i was silenced by my family it is very important for me to um, be very much so vocal Because that's, I feel like, a very big, huge issue um, with young women when something like this happens to them. They are um, hushed and they are told that um, in some kind of way they initiated or welcomed or had some cause for it to happen. And um. That's pretty much how it was given to me at the time. And because they didn't have any DNA that they could extract from my body, um, the doctor just basically said, well, you know, you could have already been having sex, basically. We don't have any, like, proof that, you know, this happened to you. Basically. Um moving on from that you know several years later you know i got like a lot of people in my neighborhood knew about it so i got teased at school because they they used to call me the rape girl because it was just something that they just didn't i don't think they understood the severity of it we in elementary school we nobody knows so i'm not holding anybody like to a terrible standard like that because they're children but i think that it was just such a not talked about issue this is in the 80s early 90s you know nobody's really talking about it like that so i think that that's more a bigger part to play than people just kind of being malicious because i don't think that they understood how much what they did affected me right um, but anyway we left and moved with my dad away from my grandmother because that's where i was living at the time and after that my dad was gone a lot so it put me in a position to have the freedom to you know hang out more and mm-hmm. so I automatically thought that my value rested in my ability to be sexual um with and when I was thirteen, I was one of those kids who felt like you you wait till you get married, you know, before you have sex and all of that because this is a big deal and and God doesn't want that for you and it was important. But my older sister lost her skipped school and lost her virginity this particular year, you know, the next year after the sexual assault happened to me. I just was pissed. I was like you're such a slut you know, why would you do this? You know, God doesn't respect you. You know, and I really felt right in what I believed in. And I and I believe I was right, but not into like condemn her for you know, what choices she felt that she needed to make. But then it changed my mind that maybe I was wrong and I'm not supposed to care about you know, whether I give my body or not. And I think it's important for me to note that neither of my parents, and it's not to, to bash them, but neither one of my parents were able to articulate um, to their three daughters what sex was, what it should mean, what our personal values should mean. Um, these just simply weren't conversations that we had so I was left to let the environment dictate my value which had already told me it wasn't much okay and so I let a guy I was 13 years old and I I actually went to an 18 year old boy in the neighborhood and I asked him if he would take my virginity For me so I could have sex with the guy I was dating the other little kid because my only knowledge of sex was my sexual trauma and porn um and everybody in the porn looked like they was having a great time so I'm like okay well that's definitely what I needed to be like on my you know real try so the guy agreed and he liked my older sister So he was like, I'll have sex with you if you agree to hook me up with your sister. It's very, very um, disturbing. He was 18 years old. I was 13 years old. He had absolutely no reason to be physically, sexually, or any kind of way attracted to me or my sister because my sister was only a year older than me, so if I'm 13, she 14, he 18. There was reason that he should have, you know, uh, been a part of any of this equation. The boy I wanted him to uh, make it feel good for was my age. He was 13, like me. So anyway, past that, of course we have that moment, and it was just rape again because it was rape in a different kind of way and it taught me something different um it wasn't forceful because obviously i requested it on this time but i didn't know my body i didn't know what to expect the only knowledge i had was poor knowledge of you know things experiences and stuff like that so after it I was traumatized again and I still went through with trying to have sex with the boy I had done all of that for and it still ended up being like very painful and not good and I was just like never mind so all of the things that I had done to get to that moment were just in vain anyways right because I never even got to have sex with the person I never had sex with him so after that I felt like golly, you know, how do I get somebody to like like me? So I said maybe I need to get good at sex because so far every single um interaction I had uh with a boy was sexually based. And so I was like, Well, you know, that's probably my downfall and why You know things you know aren't going well like dating wise mind you I shouldn't have been dating but now I'm all caught up this is in the eighth grade I'm all caught up in who I should have sex with and all of this stuff right so um during the summertime of my eighth grade year I met my oldest daughter's dad and he had just kind of seen me around the neighborhood and decided that he wanted me he was a senior in high school I was 14 13 going on 14 he said when you get to high school I'm gonna get you and I was like whatever you know Um, but he uh, persistently pursued me And when I did get to high school, he made every attempt to do, you know, what he said. But it didn't work out. Um, And I was dating another little boy that I really liked. That was my age. And so that's where I was at. But after that, um, um, my boyfriend at the time broke up with me over a stupid party or something, whatever it was. But we broke up. And I was real sad. And my homegirl at the time was like, hey, such and such and such is having a um, hotel party because it was real popular at the time for everybody to like rent a hotel, a couple of joined hotel rooms and hang out together. So she wanted to smoke weed. I did not smoke weed. I didn't drink. I didn't do anything like that. And I didn't even want to go. But she was like, please come, you don't need to be sitting here crying over this boy, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, all right, cool. So I get there. Everything is like a big party. Everybody's doing their drugs and their, you know, their entertainment and not me. So at the end, my friend decides that she wants to have sex with one of the guys at the party. And I'm like, well... I prefer that you didn't, you know, because I don't want to and I want to leave. But it goes back to that initial moment when that sexual assault happened that I felt like if I left her, she would be assaulted. So even though she wasn't me, you know, that's that was my feeling because I didn't trust men. So I sat on the floor in front of the bed she was having sex on to wait for her to get done i'm 14 years old um and then the other guy in the room was like why are you on the floor sit on the bed with me i'm not gonna hurt you well we all know how these types of stories end right so um he said that but then proceeded to um put me in a position where I wasn't, um, confident to say no, you know, like touching my breasts or, you know, trying to take my clothes off. And I had already said I wasn't interested. So what do you do at 14 when an 18 year old is telling you to take your clothes off and touch him, um, in his private places and stuff like this. And as a result of that, uh, incident, I got pregnant. I had sex with him the one time, and I was pregnant. And, of course, everyone called me a hoe. Um, You know, even my aunties was like, you ain't never going to be nothing in life um, if you keep this baby. And so I really just was like, okay, let me figure out how I can get an abortion. Because I don't want to be a nobody. You know I don't want to have this terrible life that everybody's telling me I'm going to have. And so I was like, okay. Um, so I worked on trying to get an abortion. Now, in between this time, um, my mom was on drugs very heavily. So she wasn't really available for me. And um, my father had started dating a woman and he had relocated um, to another state with his girlfriend and left us with our drug-addicted mother. And uh, so after that happened, after I found out I was pregnant, my older sister had just found out she was pregnant, too. So both of us were uh, pregnant within two months um, of each other, because our kids are two months apart. Uh, So I know this don't sound like this about a spiritual journey, but it really is. It totally is. It totally is. Um, I don't even know if I told you these details of this story, but anyways. um, It's okay, you tell me now, (laughs) it's all good. Um, So, during this time, I found out I'm pregnant. My sister's pregnant. We're staying in a hotel because my mom was on drugs and she didn't have no place, like no stability or nothing. So that's where she was living. And so we are living there with her in the Motel 6. And one day she was on like a drug binge <clears throat> and she ended up driving down a one-way road the opposite direction. Like if the road's supposed to go this way, she going this way. And she gets arrested and taken to jail. So it's me and my two siblings in this hotel. We don't know where our mother is. We used to her being gone, you know what I'm saying, for maybe hours or something like that. Um, because the drugs take you away from home and so that was not the big deal, but by the time it was time for us to go to school again, she wasn't there, it was like, dang, well, where is she? Well, my oldest sister decided, well, I'm going to step up, and I ain't going to go to school today. Y'all go to school, and I'll wait for mommy to get back. Well, we went to school, we got back from school, and mommy wasn't there still. So at that point, you know, you got to pay per day. We, We little kids. We didn't have no money to give them. You know, we didn't know. Our dad wasn't there. We had no family. Okay, let's just call it what it is. We didn't have anyone. So, my sister did that for like two days and kind of kept the people from being able to get in the room. Finally, on like the third day, they was like, we're not doing this anymore. Y'all have to get out. And uh, we was like, "But we kids, we don't, we don't have no parents right now. Um, where are we supposed to go?" And the manager of that hotel said, "It's not my problem. If you don't pay, you can't stay here." So we were like, "Okay, we have to find somewhere to go." So. We started calling our friends, like, you know, just the neighborhood friends that we went to school with and stuff. Hey, can we spend a night at your house, blah, blah, So So um, my best friend at the time, her mother was like, yeah, sure, you know. She was a single mom, too. She was like, yes, you know, you can come over here, spend a night. Um, so we spent like two or three nights, I remember, there, like a couple of nights. And she was like, hey, listen, I can't afford y'all. Y'all have to leave. And so we was like, well, where are we gonna go? You know, we don't have nowhere else to be at and we girls and we kids, what do we supposed to do? She said, I don't know what to tell you, but you gotta leave my house. So we said, okay, we'll figure it out. But what we did decide was that we knew that the safest place for us was to be at school because we could eat, we had shelter, and we had protection, but we still had all of our luggage and stuff that we had packed and was dragging with us um, every day, everywhere we went. So we was like, how are we gonna go to school with our luggage, you know? um, We don't want the school to know that we're homeless because we're gonna get taken to the system, possibly split up uh, from each other, and we just didn't know what to do. So we decided that what we would do was get to the bus stop super earlier than everybody else and hide our luggage in the bushes so that nobody would know um, that we were homeless. And we did that for like about a week. And be honest with you, I don't know, I don't remember like, where we stayed in between the days because it was just like all so much you know i just don't remember it was just like lots of different friends we were spending night here we were spending night here like stuff like that and then um finally we got in touch with my mother's mother who we originally were living with when i started the story and then finally she answered the phone to us and was like you can yeah y'all can come here so then when we got there she was just very nasty your parents are trash, you know. Y'all probably ain't gonna be nothing cuz they ain't nothing. They were never nothing. Um basically tearing the hope, any hope that you have of being anybody or having any value about yourself, it was just gone. And this is the person who showed us church. So, in my mind, I'm just like Well, I don't think I like God very much because I've lived a very terrible life so much. And, you know, the people that claim to be in the church are not very nice. And not, you know, like I'm a child. If my parents are on drugs, are they not doing right by me? How is that my fault? But it reminds me of the scriptures where it says that the children, that the sons will uh, pay for the sins of the parents. And I'm like, golly, at the time, of course, I didn't know that scripture. But, you know, I'm just like, why do I have to keep getting punished for things, decisions I didn't make? I'm a kid. I didn't ask to be here. And yeah, I made some mistakes along the way, but I didn't really have that much guidance to make better decisions or the protection to make better decisions so it was just kind of like uh almost like predestined for you to not be anything you know that's what it felt like it was like it's just not meant for me to be anything i was put here to be nothing so that i'm saying that to touch on my level of self-worth and self-value it was very low um so long story short I had my baby um and everything and her daddy didn't want nothing to do with her all of that that was a whole other series of drama I had to go through and then his whole family called me a whore and said I didn't know who my kids daddy was and I'm like I'm not I'm not sleeping around you know like this is like the second person I've had sex with I d I didn't even want to have sex with him. And now y'all are blaming me for the situation that I'm in um, when I didn't I didn't feel like I had another option. Like it's like they're like, well, you don't have to have sex with him. But you weren't in my mind. Or in my spirit when I thought if I said no, he will steal it. I had no choice. You either give it up willingly or it's taken from you. Period. That's the lesson that I have learned so far. And I'm 14 years old. So I don't know how much sense you expect me to have or whatever you expect me to have, but this is what I know. So I had my baby at 15. I was in the 10th grade. Everybody said, oh, I can't wait for you to drop that baby because we already know you have sex and we want to be next. so people did not talk to me um you know I just focused on like being a uh a good student um and nothing else in my life was good so the one thing that I did have to lean on was that I was a smart kid and I could try to be something just based on that and uh I always, even like from like middle school, I had wanted to go to college in Africa somewhere where I knew the education was limited and more difficult. I always wanted to like fight hard to prove that I, no matter what it was for me, the challenge was like I could do it, and I didn't want the easy way out. I wanted, I wanted to show that I was capable of uh, accomplishing it, like the way that anybody else, like, I didn't want a pass or nothing, like, oh, she's sad, let's give her a pass, like, I wanted to really, uh, work through the kinks, like, everybody else, so after, um, I had my daughter, I moved back to, I had her in Chicago, and then I moved back to Georgia, my mom, at this point, um, had gone into rehab, got out of jail, gone to rehab, And I had moved to Chicago with my dad because eventually we had got over there to him. And then um, we were supposed to just be visiting my mom. And I decided I didn't want to go back to Chicago. So I stayed there in the rehab with her. And after all I went through with her, you would think I wouldn't have chosen that, but I did. And um, so once we got out of the rehab, she had got her own place and went straight back to doing drugs. So now it's two small toddler babies, you know, at the house and then us and then um, we're having to like chase my mom down um, through different crack houses um, to pull her out of the crack houses and say, please, you know, like, please come home. Um, We don't have nothing to eat. Um, The lights are off or, you know, like anything like that. Like we don't have what we need. Um, please come home. And she was getting a lot of assistance through us being minors and us having children. So now you get all of these benefits from having basically five kids. Because she has three. And then me and my older sister had babies. But all of us was on her food stamp case. But we didn't have access to the car or any way to spend the money. So what ended up happening was we decided to start selling drugs. Because it was the only way um, that we knew, I mean, we could get money. You know, like, all right, well, I'm going to sell drugs because I know that if I sell drugs that somebody's going to buy it, even if I have to sell it to my mother. (laughs) So we sold crack to my mom and any of her, you know, friends. And this is at 16, 15, 16 years old. Um, and then another person had confronted me and said uh, you know you don't have to live like this you know I know somebody who could help you and I was like really okay well I'm interested in knowing who that could be because you know it's hard so um, it was a girl I went to school with and she had a kid too early you know so she was like I'm good my baby's straight like you could be good too so I was like, okay, um, and she introduced me um, to a pimp. And um, I'm like 16 years old, and she's like, you know, he can make sure you have a place to stay, he gonna make sure you and your baby eat, y'all have clothes, um, you know, a roof over your head, everything that you need. At the time, I was really desperate. Um, a way out of my situation and so I said okay at this point you know if if that means that my child don't have to go through you know like the life that we're living then I'm okay let's do it so um I became one of his girls and um uh, the way that they did it It's just very disturbing. You know? Um, it's just, it's disturbing. But, so what he did was he picked us up from the house, um, and then um, loaded us up in a van and would take us to different uh neighborhoods where I guess they already knew they had like different men that would you know be interested in purchasing us and uh, so they would line us up they would line us up next to each other and they would tell the guys you know you can have any girl um pick, pick whichever girl you want you know uh you get 15 minutes with this girl for 50 dollars uh and it was either 15 minutes or if you if we were able to make the man orgasm before the 15 minutes then we got to get out of it faster but if not we had to suffer through those 15 minutes <laughs> And so, we were picked, like, trash. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we were not, we had no, no value. $50? For a 16-year-old little girl? Like, I just didn't, you know, it didn't, you know, it just felt like, why is this life? You know, like, why... It's everything that I'm running into something of uh, stripping something from me that I need you know like so the only way I can survive is if I give my vagina away for 50 for $50 Um, at this point just to say I have some place to live so um, at this point I didn't live with the pimp yet but he was like trying to get me to move out, right? So he's like saying, um, "Hey, you know, um, l- I'm take you shopping, you know, like just little stuff, like to try to like entice me." And I was like, "Well, you didn't make sure I had time to study for sc- for class and all of that. Like, you had me out three, four o'clock in the morning selling ass. You know, like I don't have time to study, so." One night, I just was so, um, just over it, emotional, like, broken, and I just ran out of one of those lineups, and I just ran out and ran back to the van, because I ain't had nowhere else to go. So I went to the van, he was sitting in the van, because mind you, he had a wife, and the wife would take us up to the to the other men. And they have small kids and everything like when I look back it's just like such trash like I, I mean just sexual predators are real And they out here and they out here with real families and they out here pretending like they doing this to kids they out here tricking everybody you know what I'm saying like you wouldn't even know they they your friends they your neighbors they your church members all of that that's doing these types of things to to young girls and boys too probably you know but anyway I ran out and I ran back to the van and I was like I'm tired and I can't do this and I want to go home and I remember balling up in the floor of that car not on the seat on the floor in between the seats and hysterically crying my eyes out You know, just like, please, like, God, if you exist, for real, like, there's gotta be a different answer than this one, because I can't live like this no more. And I think that was probably around the time that I really felt like I wanted to, like, just die. You know, like, what was my purpose? And I didn't see it. I had nothing to offer my kid. I had nothing to offer me. I had no one offering me anything, um, and nobody gave a gave a damn, to be honest, about what happened to me. So it was very, very difficult to get out of that. But a little later on in the year, I ended up being able to find this church to go to that was in the neighborhood, and it was a white church. Um, uh, so at first I was a little reluctant to want to go to it because in the South, you don't really want to go to white people churches. Well, not just willy nilly. You want to know that they not racist and all that stuff. Cause I already had like an encounter where I almost went to a KKK church and probably wouldn't be here today if I had made it there. But I went into this church and I was like, I want to be safe at 16 I said you know if everything that y'all say about God is real I need God and God has to help me because if not I'm, I'm gonna die so they kinda took me in and I started to be a part of the church and all of that well I had got my mom to come to the church and everybody was kinda going and that was, like, a great thing to me at the time, because I really needed it. Um, but, somehow, someway, my mom fell out with somebody and told us we wasn't allowed to go back to the church. So, we was like, uh, well, that sucks, you know, because that was, like, an outlet of, of some sort, a form of goodness. Um... So I was just like, I guess I'm on my own. Like, No matter what I do to try to better myself, it just ain't gonna work because I have people who just keep reminding me that I'm not, never gonna be anything. So from there, it took me probably about two years um, before I like tried to go to church again. And one of the people, um, I didn't go to church with my parents and nothing like that, it was just another church that I found through one of my friends. And um, I had met a lady in the church that kept telling me, you have a gift, you have a gift. And I was like, well, you know, I don't think I'm valued at anything. So I doubt that, you know, and she was like, no. And she, I remember she had me sit in her car. One day she had brought me home because she would pick me up and bring me home for church. And that was the only way I could go. And one day she said, "I believe you're a seer," and I'm like, mm, "Probably not." And she was like, "No, I want I want to show you who you are." So one day, we had um, she had brought me to the house back from um church, and she said, "Let's sit here," and I want you to close your eyes, and she had told me something like like a street name. Or something to put my mind somewhere I had never physically been. Um, She had just kind of described a couple of things that were going on there. And she told me to close my eyes. And she said, I know you can see it. You describe to me what you see. So I sat there for about probably like five to 10 minutes. Like this is not real. You know, like this is not going to work because I don't believe in myself. Like I don't believe that that's even a gift that God would even give me, you know, so I don't see it. But like right after that, I just started having like almost a movie play um, behind my eyelids. And it was... Cars on the street, buildings, people, all of that. And I'm watching this happen. So she's like, tell me what you see. So I'm telling her and she's like, I told you, I told you. All of the things that I had said was describe the place that she was talking about, the people, the incident, everything. Still, I was just like, mm, you know, she could have been lying, you know, because I have no real proof of none of that. So i was like whatever a couple of months later um my best friend um had gotten uh gang raped um by some dudes now right before the the rape happened um Mm -hmm. i had a dream and in my dream um in my dream i had pictured um some Somebody close to me, I didn't see the girl, but I have two sisters. So I'm thinking it was one of them, not the friend. So it was like um me uh, really persuading this girl not to go wherever she was supposed to go. This is what's happening in a dream. So when I woke up, I was like, somebody's about to be harmed, but I don't know who it is. So I'm telling my sisters, if you got invited out somewhere with excuse me with a guy today you cannot go because you're going to get raped now of course everybody's like girl bye you know like you that's not real and we're not finna listen to that so I didn't even think to call the friend and ask, tell her this I'm just thinking it's got to be my sisters or something so my sister stayed home that night but she ended up going out and you know obviously it happened to her she was beat from head to toe. I mean, almost to death. She was beat. Eyes swollen shut, mouth swollen shut, all of this. And she was like, okay, so if I was 16, she was like 17, 18 years old. So, you know, we're still pretty young. Um, and then when she, you know, I called to see why she wasn't at church. And her mom told me, She's just got out the hospital. She almost died. And that's when I realized that my dream was about her. So then that made me like, okay, this is real. And I don't know why I'm getting these dreams, but I know it's real because I know exactly, I knew what happened to her. I didn't know it was her. I just knew what happened. So after that I really made it a point like you know what I need to make sure that me and God have a connection because we did already anyways but I really didn't have a personal relationship on like how to talk to God or how to um, have faith in God or any of these things because even going to church and having these experiences nobody really sat me down and said hey this is how you have an experience or a relationship with god and so i just didn't know um so throughout all that i took some time away because everything was going crazy i graduated high school i was the only child to graduate high school of my sibling um and when i graduated nobody was in attendance like my family besides my two sisters um, my mother was not there. My father was not there. My mother's mother was there, but i never seen her at the graduation. So I just heard she was there, but she was, I never saw her. And then my daughter was there and her grandfather on her father's side. So neither one of my parents was at my high school graduation, even though I'm their only child who graduated high school. We were homeless that night I graduated high school as well. So after I graduated, you know, everybody's going to celebrate and things like that. We were walking the streets trying to find somewhere to be at for the night because we had nowhere to go. Um, So anyway, after that, um, we moved to Texas and then I didn't care about God at all at this point. So I'm like 18, 19 years old and I'm just like, you know, God doesn't care for me. I don't see it. I don't see any evidence of it. So it just don't, it don't exist, you know? So I just was just wildly doing whatever. You know, I had graduated school and I was like, I did my part. You know, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to live for me and I'm going to figure this out. But I don't think God has anything to do with it. I think it's about me and me just needing to, figure it out, you know, um, and so I kind of took on that and tried to push myself a little bit more, got married, it was very, very abusive and violent, um, I tried to kill myself during that marriage, I had my other two kids, you know, after that, and, um, the final end of that marriage was I tried to kill him, I tried to slit his throat, um, It was like during a fight, I was a drunk. Um, At 9 a.m., I would wake up. And I'm like, early 20s, I'm like nothing but like 21, 22 years old. And at 9 a.m., I'd be at the liquor store waiting on them to open the door so I could get me a pint of Parmesan to start my day. I was depressed. I was lonely. I was beaten down. I was lost. I had nothing, nothing to go on, nothing to desire, except for dreams I thought was not going to come true. Um, After my divorce, I started going back to church. So I'm 24 years old at this point. I'm like, you know what? Church is the only other outlet I know. Like, I had some good times And some just confusing times, but it wasn't like bad. So I was like, you know what? That's my safe haven. You know what? Maybe I need to go back to that. So I did. And I joined this church. And oh, I'm skipping apart. During my marriage, we we joined a church. And that church is what got us married. Because I was just pregnant, right? And they said, you know, the word says it's better to marry than to burn. So, if you don't marry him, y'all going to hell, no matter what. So, I was like, dang, here I go again with another, like, punishment. You know, then I'm going to have to suffer. And so, I said, okay, well, then we should get married. So, we did. And then, um, the church that we belonged to ended up being a cult church. So, all right, your facial expression say explain that. Okay, so... Um, I'm 19 I'm 19 years old at this point right and uh, um I'm living on my own in my own apartment with my baby I'm pregnant I have this boyfriend at the time I'm taking care of my younger sibling and her child um as well and I'm 18 19 years old I'm a kid still I just had ended up you know after I graduated I got a good job being a um bookkeeper and a Radio Shack and so it was just you know for my age I was doing like really exceptional uh, especially with everything I had gone through prior to that and um, so in the church they it was like a bunch of kids in the church like the adults were the pastor and his wife and it was like the parents of a couple of kids in the church but the rest of them was all children and looking back that that is like you know a uh, warning sign that most of your members are children mm-hmm. um so we bought <clears throat> I became the church secretary I was a member of the choir and I did a lot of evangelism in the church um But the pastor was like kind of like a sexual deviant Um, and they just told us we couldn't do a lot of things that didn't really align with the word of God. Like, you know, we had kids and um, their daddies were not allowed to hold the babies or help us with the children during church service. Um, so if our babies got to crying, you know, as women, we were the only ones allowed to deal with that. Um not matter how you feel, tired, none of that. Like, even though the husband's standing right across, because I was married at this time. He's standing across from me being an armor bearer for the pastor. But he can't hold his own child and calm his own child. Or take his own child out the sanctuary or nothing like that. If we got caught listening to um, secular music or um, like the guys, if they had earrings in their ears or stuff like that, um, they had to get on the altar like during the whole church service. So you would be like on your knees in prayer, the entire church service, but in front of everybody. And. Um, the congregation was like alerted to the reason why you were punished, because that's what being on the altar was, it was a punishment so um, they were put on this altar, now at this point, you know, my mom and my dad are like, hey, y'all are dumb as hell, this is a a cult that y'all are in, and y'all ain't seeing it, but for me, I'm like, because my little sister was in this too, you know and um, for me, I was like, this is the only like family I feel like I have because they cared. They said I wouldn't go to hell if I just did this. They um, made me a part of their family. I, I, um, I'm the secretary. People come to me for things. I sing in the choir. People expect me to be there and be at rehearsals. I have purpose. So it kept me in that church because I I, I I was valuable in some kind of way at that church. So um, it took a couple of years, but after a while, I realized that the church just wasn't it for me. So then I didn't go to church for a couple of years because I was like, why is everything bad? You know, like nothing i do, whether I'm trying to do good or not, it's just all bad. So a couple years later, I found a different church and I started going to that church. And I really felt great about this church because it was a bigger church. You know, um, I was still in the choir. Um, I had um, been able to become um, on the prayer team of this church. And as a prayer team member, um, what I did was at 6 a.m. every morning, I would be on the church grounds Monday through Sunday um, praying for the grounds, the building, the pastor, everybody, you know, every day. And I had three small children and everybody said, you are a horrible mother dragging your children out of bed at 5 a.m. and taking them to church to pray. For an hour but I thought I was investing in my children some value you know like um, if God is all you can count on because for me that's the only thing I know to lean on so yeah I'm gonna tell you go to God because I don't know nobody else to tell you to go to so that was their experience but you know everybody else was like you're a bad mom um that's child abuse um you know they really came against me and it's like no matter what I do the shit is wrong (laughs) like it's just it's just gonna be wrong it's gonna be wrong you're gonna say it's wrong you're gonna say I didn't do it right but nobody is coming up to me and saying hey Summer here are the steps like when I say have faith here's how you have faith you do this you do this you do this it wasn't nothing like that it was have the faith of a mustard seed in the conversation how 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 do you tell somebody to have faith of a mustard seed how do I do that how do you tell me if I don't do that I'm, I'm going to live in sin and go to hell when you can't tell me how not to live in sin help me That's that was the thing help me I'm doing everything that I can think of to do you said pray I'm here every day you said don't fornicate I ain't doing that You said don't curse. I don't do that. You said don't drink. I don't do that. You said don't listen to secular music. I ain't doing that. I'm raising my kids. My kids went to um, Christian-based daycare and charter school um, that was all aligned with the um, church. Um, Like I said, I'm um, in the choir. I'm on the prayer ministry. I um, clean the pastor's home every two weeks. Um... I was over the homeless ministry. So that was like a lot of evangelism that I did. It was a lot, I was very heavily, if anybody who knows me today, if I was to tell them I didn't cuss, would look at me like, you're a liar. (laughs) Cause you know, like, you know, I know I have a potty mouth, Um, but I didn't do anything. I said, okay, it says don't do this. Okay, won't do that. Okay, don't do this. Okay, won't do that. You know. I kept taking the don't do's, but I didn't get enough of the what to do's. If that makes sense. So, all the senses. So, in this church situation now, here, this is the this is the the kicker. But I was just like, you know what? This just ain't meant for me. You know, maybe this ain't meant for me. So I told you how heavily involved in this church I am, and then, um. It was a guy who was over the, um, he was a youth minister and he was interested in me, in dating me. I'm a, you know, a divorcee with three kids. I'm 25 and you know, I really have a lot, but you know, going for me really besides me being just like a woman who just wanted to be a better person. And so he wanted to date me, but he was a virgin and so the he was kind of like an orphan kind of um situation he was like around the same age as me but like some of the women in the um church had taken him in like a son and um looking back i think they were um homosexual women just living apart but having that relationship you know because it was just weird but anyways um when they found out he wanted to date me, they told him that he could not date me. because I was ruined. Oh, help me, Jesus, help <laughs> <laughs> me! Um, it's a so, story right now. This I know. Story. I'm so sorry, but you know, I hate to make it bad, but you know, um. This is just the true series of events. So, um, so he, you know, they're like, no. And he was like, you know, I like her and I, I feel like I'm a grown man. I, I could choose if I like her. So he did. And um, what they did to punish us was they kicked him off of the youth ministry. Because we did end up having sex and dating um, and I guess he must have told them because I don't really know how they knew but apparently he told them and then they punished him because they said that I would just be coming in to try to use him for his money um, and to take care of my basically illegitimate children even though they were legitimate children because I had a husband when I had them Well, at least the last two. Um, So, anyway, um, he decided he would move away from them so that he could be with me. And he did. Um, And so they threw him completely off out of the youth ministry. They told him he could not teach, he could not preach, he could do nothing. Now, I'm still over the youth ministry, I mean, over the homeless ministry at this point. Um, But when um so it was a guy who used to come um we would pick them up like we'd go in our van and we'd go to the homeless shelters and we would pick the homeless people up right and so what I did was I gave an overview to all of the you know um homeless people that would you know come and I would tell them um you know about the church what the church offers you know what they could get you know things like that. And so it was one dude who used to come every week and um, he would help me set up all of my homeless equipment. I mean like all of my, um, I'm sorry, um, you know, like I did a, like a PowerPoint on a big screen and he would help me set everything up. And so um, because I was dealing with all of the things I was dealing with with the relationship and the guy and you know what was going on at church. I just kind of got tired of going. So I took a break and I missed like two Sundays. Well, the first Sunday, the man who normally would help me with everything, he was like, where's Summer at? You know, like I come to church for her.
0: Hmm.
1: And so, um, Everybody at that point was like, what? What? No, you don't need Summer to be here, you know, to come to church. This ain't about her. Which it wasn't, but, you know, um, that's just what this person would do. And he would always ask me if he could, um, you know, come to my house for dinner or anything, you know, because he was really, like, took to me. Well, um, I kept telling him no because I was a single... Woman at home with kids, I I can't take no man home from the homeless ministry. Like, that just didn't feel safe. So, um, anyway, that second Sunday that I missed, that man walked into the hot freeway and killed himself on the interstate. And he took his life. Um, wow. I didn't know what to do with that you know like God here's another blow Woo, you good at sending these blows at me like okay like I'm just taking a minute for myself and now you telling me because I didn't stay faithful to showing up that somebody took their own life So I don't even get a break. Like, cause now I gotta get blamed for this. Cause the whole church blames me. So I'm like, I don't understand. I just don't understand. I don't get it. I don't know how I could have saved this man. Um, what could I have done? What could I have said? Like, how do I know that he wouldn't have still done this even if I had came to church? Like, how can you just, you know, I don't know. So after that, um, I basically got set down out of that ministry. But I felt like it was just any reason because they didn't really have one to punish me for the whole dating scenario at that point. So um, I stopped doing homeless ministry, but I was still on a prayer team. And stuff. So, but after he died, I took about a month off from church I was depressed I was I didn't know what to do I didn't know that I needed or wanted to help anybody anymore um I didn't know that I could handle that um responsibility or the pressure or you know everything that was coming with that um burden so when I um and then my relationship with the guy had kind of split up by this point because it was just too much attacks um, from every side and it just was hard on us we were young and so we just stopped talking well I went back to the church now mind you remember earlier in the story I was telling you my mom was on crack and all of that stuff so my mom was still on drugs at this point and these are all the things that's going on that nobody at the church knows about that my mom was like telling um, our family members that Uh, we we weren't taking care of our kids um that cps was about to get them um you know that we weren't feeding them or clothing them or stuff like that and she was doing that so that people could send her money or donate to the cause and it was just you know we needed a babysitter maybe while we went to work or something like that and that's how you know um she would even have them you know like during the day but we didn't have no choice like either go to work um and let your mom babysit or be homeless like i didn't have not a lot of choice so and in between this time you know my mom was very violent so she kept going to, back to jail a lot of times in the in between this time um but anyways so I decided to leave that church because when I came back to the church after leaving that month I'm dealing with my mom almost being killed by a drug dealer. And so I was just like God please help my mother. You know. And when I came back to church it wasn't even about me. Wasn't even about me. I came to pray For my mother. And. It was like a revival. Or something similar type of event. Um, Because it wasn't like a regular service. And I remember. It was like a moment where. Everybody was praying. You know like. The whole congregation. And. At this point I didn't really like. People laying hands on me. So I didn't want to, even though I was hurting, I didn't want to go to the altar and have prayer because people feel like they got to touch you and lay you out and all of that. And I just didn't want to do that. So mind you, I am a prayer warrior. I pray every single day for every member of this church. Every single day, I drag my children out of bed at five o'clock in the morning to bring them to the church grounds to pray. I painted the mural inside of the church and had my kids help me with that. Everything that that church needed, every uh every event, every Bible study, every single thing. I I was there. I contributed. Um I did everything that I knew to do. Um I went to the corner of the church, like where there was just like a break in between the wall. And I went in to face that corner to cry out to God because I was tired. You know, you ever been that like broken to the point where you just like, God, I just need you to step in somewhere, somehow, some way. I went to that corner of that wall and I just weeped, like with a deep um, longing for God to help me. You know, like I, I'm broken. I'm I'm broken in, in any possible, I don't even know if I'm repairable. This is how broken I am. But I need something to happen, you know? And so the people that I was on a prayer team with, now mind you, these are people that pray with me every day they clean the pastor's house with me every two weeks. They came up and said, Summer, it's okay, come to the front of the church. I said, no, thank you. I want to talk to God by myself. I don't need y'all to help me talk to him. Um, I talk to God every day, all day. I, I, I think I got this conversation part down. I'm good. I'm gonna be over here. So they got upset with me and said that I could not pray right there. Like not allowed. And I said, mind you, it's not like this is during um, a sermon or during a time where it's quiet and I would be a distraction, the entire congregation was in prayer. That's what I
0: was thinking
1: from what you described. It seemed like it was a like one of those
0: worship moments where everybody's in different
1: places. And everybody's praying, but you know, um, I think I stood out because I had a, if you ever heard somebody like deep cry like a I don't know. It's like being stuck in a well. That's the only way I could describe it from being deep down that sunken place and for you to call out ahead of you and for that to echo around you. I can probably imagine it was loud, you know, for them to notice that it was me because I'm praying in tongue. I'm I'm everything over here in this corner. Right. I'm crying hysterically. I'm praying all this. And I want to be fair by pointing that out. You know, I was loud, but the whole congregation was still in prayer. And I feel like if you try to spirit by the spirit and you actually know that I, I pray with you every day. I'm I'm the one, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm the one that's here with you every day, um, making sure that that I'm here standing in the gap, or whomever. Mm -hmm. Um, So what they did was, when I um, I agreed to move from where I was at, and I said, okay, I'll move up, but I do not want to go to the altar. Well, they decided because I said I didn't want to go to the altar, that that was the devil. Who wouldn't want to go to the altar? Because why wouldn't I want to go to the altar? So I'm like I'm like listen, I just want to pray by myself. That's it. It ain't nothing. It, there's no trick to it. It's no no fancy pantsy stuff. It's nothing special. I just want to pray on my own. Please, you know? And so um what ended up happening was um they decided that i was possessed and they began to try to cast out the demon that that wasn't there there was not one okay but they proceeded to cast him out and so at this point you know how small I am. You know, like, I'm. for every one of y'all who don't know, I'm 4'11 and I'm 120 pounds. And I'm probably, I've been pretty much that same size for a long time. So, I'm around this size, maybe a little bit smaller. And these are big ladies, you know. And so, what they did was they decided that they had to hold me on every side. So that they could cast this demon out, and um, so they start speaking to the demon, and they're saying, "Uh, you know, tell me your name, and uh, you know, like you must, you, you must speak to me." Now, I'm gonna tell you a couple of issues that I have with this before I get into what they did. First of all, if you have ever been in a situation where a demon is cast out of somebody, you cannot there's rules to that. Okay? First of all, you can't just do that at any spiritual state. Like any uh, uh, um any point in your spiritual walk. You can't just be like, "Oh yeah, uh there's demons out here. I can cast them all out." And you're not equipped to handle the Stronghold of a spirit like that. If a if a spirit is strong enough and demonic enough to grab a hold of me, where I am not in control of who I am, you gotta look at the logic behind the people, right? Okay, so <clears throat> if the demon is attached to me, where I could come in and pray with y'all, that's gotta be a strong demon that I could sit in the midst of prayer warriors every single day and pray during the service. Like, so while you're sitting down at your early morning, 7 a.m. service, you got your coffee, you ready to get your word, guess what, while the preacher is preaching, I'm praying for both of y'all. In the, um, there was like a crawl space above the um, pulpit, And it was literally a crawl space. So you had to be on your face to pray. So I'm just pointing, I'm just putting these details out here for you to know. That's gotta be a strong demon for the pastor to not notice something. I'm praying over your building, over you, I'm cleaning your home, and I'm praying during your sermon, and you saying, I got a demon? I'm, I'm going to ask you this. How do you, as a leader of a flock, don't know the devil when you see him? I got questions. But all right, so we're gonna go back to what they did. So I'm in, now I'm in the middle, like they said what I was doing was making a scene and that's what made it the devil, right? But you bringing me into the center of the congregation and saying I have a demon isn't isn't distracting. And there were children in the um, congregation and people who have not, not been saved. So why would you exercise a demon in front of children and in front of unsaved people or people who um, the demon could attach itself to? Do that make sense? It don't make sense. So they're holding me and they're telling the demon, tell me your name. You know, you must, um, you know, you have to acknowledge me you know, all of these things. So at this point, I was already sad. I was already like kind of hysterical anyways in my like emotional breakdown. And then now this is going on and I'm like, I can't get a break. Damn, I can't get a break. Like, I just don't even know why y'all are over here messing with me. Like, just please leave me alone. Go pray for other people. Why do you, or why are you bothering me? So I'm telling them, I'm not possessed with a demon. Yes, you are. Blah, blah, blah. blah. You must acknowledge me. All this stuff. So then um, after that, I'm like physically trying to break free because they are holding me like like if you could imagine like somebody over here like this, somebody over here like this, you know, they holding me. And so I'm like, okay, I gotta get free, you know? So I'm like snatching, you know, like any normal person would do. If you are holding me and I'm saying, please leave me alone, let me go. They're saying that's the demon fighting them, not wanting to be cast out. And I'm saying, no, this is a human person saying, you're holding me, you're grabbing me, you're restraining me. And I want to be let go and left alone. So at this point, I'm like, if y'all don't let me go, I'm going to come out of my clothes like to get away. I'm going to start snatching my stuff off because I ain't know what else to do to get away. So, mind you, I just want to point out, these are prayer people. This ain't the pastor or the first lady. These these two individuals are sitting they behind in the pulpit watching. Not saying nothing. Not um, not breaking it up. Not nothing. And I'm like, God, hello. 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 So we're just not talking to nobody around here or what's going on? Because I know what I know And I don't see how these people don't know that. You know, like I don't see how they don't see it. So finally, the pastor says, get her out of here. Get her out of the, you know, um, sanctuary. So we go into the hallway. When we get in the hallway, they sit me down in this chair. That's when they let me go because they like literally drug me out. And then um, we get into like the hallway area And it was another church member that knew me very well. And she had went, like, the long way around to get to where I was. And she was, like, hysterical, like, just apologizing and hugging me and saying she was so sorry that that was happening to me and all of that because I was like, I'm not possessed. You know, I'm still crying and everything. I was like, I don't have a demon. I'm not possessed. Why would they do this to me? I don't, You know, I didn't do anything to them. You know, like, why are they doing this? And, um maybe like maybe 10 or 15 minutes later the pastor came out and was like are you okay (sighs) so I'm like I'm I'm not okay and I will never set foot in this church again in my life I don't care if this building burns to the ground directly but what I've been through, I don't ever want to come here again. And I did not go to church for maybe five or six years after that. Um, and then when I went, well, all right, I take that back. Before, I, did, I didn't go to church, but I also was angry with God. And I said, you keep not speaking to me like you've been doing. And I'm going to stop talking to you. Because I was angry. Um, All I had tried to do at this point was the right thing. You know, I didn't know what the right thing was besides read your Bible. I read it cover to cover multiple times. I still didn't know what to do. So during this time of me, like, taking a hiatus, basically, from God, and saying, you know what? I'm mad at you. I don't want to talk to you. Um, I don't want nothing to do with you. I didn't say I believed in the devil or nothing opposite, uh, like, of God's existence. I just didn't pray. And I was angry. I was adamant. If you talk to me about church, I didn't want to hear it. I don't wanna come. Um, I don't want nothing to do with it or none of that. So after all this, I went into another real, real deep depression because I ended up losing some stuff and I and moved up moved in with a friend and I was living in her basement. This is around the time that I met you, I was living in her basement. And this is why I don't think that you understand why, how, when you came into my life, at the time that you came into my, my life, and how, um, the changes that was made, because I was at the end of all of this story when you came into the picture, right? So I'm living in this basement. Um, my uh, my kids are, you know, like, sleeping on the floor in this girl's house. Um, it was like a very not good situation, okay? And I just didn't want, I was so embarrassed of like living like this, that um, losing everything, like living like this, that, you know, I just didn't want nobody to know, you know, like it was very embarrassing. And so, um anyway, I started dating, the guy I was dating at the time, and he was kind of like an outlet for me because I wasn't praying he didn't have like a real prayer life, So I didn't have to worry about being interrupted with, you know, church and prayer and all that. So um he just took me out drinking all the time. And so he fed, um, you know, it was already a, a, a area that I had used before to try to, you know, fix um numb myself uh from issues so he was kind of like my escape where I was able to not ask God for nothing and he was a wealthy person um so he took me on trips he took me out the country um you know he showed me um a lot of different things except for that value thing. He gave me material things, took me places, showed me things, but he still treated me like I didn't matter, like I didn't I didn't have any uh, value. Um somewhere in this point, like I was really depressed. Um and things just continued to like happen. Um the girls husband's mom had got real sick and he thought she was gonna die and so I'm in the basement I don't know just in the basement just sitting I guess and then they come down there in tears and they were like Summer we need you to pray for me and my mom mind you I remember I ain't been praying or talking to God for a couple years at this point but they knew my history so they were like we really really need you to pray for us right now and I'm like me why would you ask me I never pray we know you know God and we need you to pray for us right now so I'm like uh almost embarrassed to pray it had been so long um so I'm like, all right, well, whatever, you know, let's see if it works for y'all. Cause it sure ain't been working for me. So I get to, um, into my prayer in a really, really, you know, fervent prayer. They crying, I'm crying, everything. So I know God moved in that moment. Um, and that was the first time I talked to God again. Then, um, I would say about, then I started going to church again and trying to like okay I missed my relationship with God it, it woke that back up and I was like you know um, I need this and I need that in my life you know I'm gonna find me a church so I went to this church which was another like kind of white it was like a mixed church but predominantly white like white ministers and all of that and it's nothing against white people I'm just pointing this out for a reason um, so so When the Mike Brown situation happened and we started seeing a lot of the shootings and deaths, um, you know, going on, um, this church, um, wanted to like, this is what's going on in the news, but this church decided to, instead of talk about that, they decided to talk about how, um, Christians were, uh, Killed, and you know, like in the biblical days for being Christians, you know, they were um, attacked and, and murdered um, for their faith. And honestly, it pissed me off. It pissed me off because who was sitting in front of me was a white man with his arm around his son, kissing him, enjoying him, loving him, and sharing a service about God with his son When me as a black mother of a black son, could not give my son that with the same level of comfort that he could give his. Cause while you feel like you get to hug your kid right now, while we talk about Christians being killed in the biblical days, when there are people being killed in the today days that you ain't even gonna mention What, what do we come to the church for if you're going to act like what we live with outside of this church ain't going on? I was, again, tired. I'm tired. Y'all are ridiculous at this point. I'm so sick, of church. Like, I don't even know why y'all exist. It's like, I, I I look at the example of my anger as, like, when Jesus went into the temple with the Pharisees who was selling blessings and all of that stuff. And he knocked all that crap over. Like I've had enough of you ignorant. You know, I can imagine the cuss words he would use if he was a cuss. But you know what I'm saying? Like that's how I felt. I'm so done. I'm tired of you saying that things that affect me aren't important, don't exist or what have you. Right. So I was back out of the church. I was like, you know what? I, you know, I wasn't ready, cause I'm not that. So, um, I stayed out again, and mind you, I'm still like dealing with a lot of depression during this time too. And my oldest daughter ended up getting pregnant, and um, I wasn't happy. I was very sad for her. I was sad for me. I was like, this sucks. Um, you know, here we go again. Bad news, Jones. You know, I'm sick of this. Well, seven months into her pregnancy, um, she had a very violent, like, baby daddy, you know, relationship. Um, and so he fought her a lot. And one time she fell down a flight of stairs and she went into preterm labor. And they kept her in the hospital for a while and they let her out. And then, um, when she went back for her regular appointment, there was no heartbeat. So, they kept her and they said, we're sorry, your baby is dead. And, unfortunately, because of how far along you are, we still have to admit you and you have to deliver this baby. So... As a mom, I'm already, I don't know what to give you. I don't have nothing to give. I'm emotionally drained. I don't have nothing emotionally to give you. Um, This is the worst thing could ever happen. I don't know how it feels to lose a kid. I don't know. But I can just say that I don't even know if I'm strong enough to help you be strong enough to deal with this problem. So, after I weeped the whole delivery and watched her hold a dead baby for hours on hours on hours and try to make me hold the baby, she was like, You hold the baby now. And I was like, I don't want to hold a dead baby. No, thank you. But she made me because you're not holding your grandchild. You're not holding your grandchild. And I'm like, Oh my God. I just like, Why can't I just die already? Like, you know, like, why am I still here for this? shit, I'm so over it, like, I'm just, like, I can't catch a break, it just felt like, you know, like, why, I just couldn't explain, and so, then I had to look at her, be sad every day, and I couldn't do nothing about that, and I was, like, go to counseling, do this, I'm, like, just thinking of anything, like, as a mom, you don't want to see your kid going through this, you know, and, um, she was grown, though, you know, she was, like, 21 or something like that but anyways um one day um it had just overtaken her to the point where um she didn't want to live no more either so she went down to the same basement where i'm sleeping at and she took an extension cord and she wrapped it around the top of the like the uh beams you know um at the top of not like a finished ceiling and um she hung herself um from the ceiling so i was upstairs painting um while she's hanging there i didn't know and um so my son was looking all around the house for her like where did she go where did she go because they had been talking earlier and i guess she had said some things that had worried him and um So all I remember is him racing up to there, Mom, 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 Mom. Downstairs now, downstairs. And I get downstairs, and I'm watching my child dangling from the ceiling. And all I could do, I mean, I'm hysterical, but all I'm trying to figure out, I'm a short girl. I don't even know how my baby got up here, because you know she's little too. I'm like, how did you get up here? But she's, I'm watching her, uh, life leave her, her body. And I'm like, I gotta get her out the ceiling. So I'm like ripping the, uh, like, uh, everything. And I'm like, my son at the time was like maybe 15, 14, 15 years old. Um, and I'm like, uh, you gotta help me. You gotta help me. You know, um. So I'm holding her, and I'm like, you got to grab the strip. I don't even know how we got her down. Like, it was like that uh, so much so fast, right? So I lay her down on the couch, and then I'm on the phone with, um, you know, the emergency room. Please, please, please. You know, I don't know. she did. I don't know what's happening. So they're, like, going away. And then my back is to her, and I'm, like, you know, try to explain to them, you know, what happened. And somehow she came to, and this time and ran out of the house and into traffic and a man um stopped like this close from like hitting her um and he had his child in the car um too so of course he's freaked out um we're chasing me my son and the other girl who I stay with we're we're all chasing um, we're running to chase her. We don't know where she went, but we're, like, all looking in the street for her. Um, and so she's going in the woods and everything. So the dude almost hit her. He calls the police. The police is like, now we got a big search party out. We got dogs. We got everything trying to find her, right? Well, when they finally found her, she had locked herself in some type of, like, storage thing that was, like, like a part of the... Uh, like some type of display for a business that was like out uh, along the highway Um, or the main, you know, main four lane road or whatever. And so um, when they found her, the dog found her, the, you know, um, the dogs found her. And then when the police got her into custody, um, she tried to get them to kill her. So she reached for their weapons. Um, She fought them. Um, She spit on them. She assaulted them in every way possible. She said, shoot me, you shoot every other black person for this, shoot me, kill me, I want to die. They had to shoot her with two or three tranquilizers. When I got, they called me, they said Summer, we, we found your daughter. We, we need you to get down here right now and help us calm her down because we've already shot her with a tranquilizer gun and she's not responsive to that. It did not do anything. And so they was like, we need to see if you can calm her down because if not, we don't know how we're going to transport her she is now a threat to herself and others so when I got there she was crying she was why did my baby die What you know so many heart wrenching questions and all I could say was God why don't I have the answer why, after all these years, I've been faithful to you? And you don't, you don't help me. I don't understand. What is the purpose of me being here? Because I don't see it. Everybody that I even brought here is hurt. What do you want me to do at this point? I don't know. So of course they took her to a mental institution and um, you know she had to be in there where I could not really visit her and stuff like that um, very much and that was you know tormenting to me as well because I could not be a parent I couldn't you know show her any compassion or love um, like that because you know now you're forced to be by their rules and stuff so you have to come on the visitation days and the visitation hours and only stay that second of time you know or whatever So, finally, she got out, and then I was like, okay, like, realistically, something has got to change for me. And I didn't want to go to church. I really just needed to know that there was some other way I could figure out what God was wanting me to do because I just didn't have the answer. You know, I done tried everything the the way I was taught it you know, read the Bible, study to show yourself approved, pray pray without ceasing, okay I did all that and guess what I got, nothing so I didn't want nothing to do with church so at this point I just started looking on YouTube for like motivational um just motivational things like um somebody telling me I was good somebody telling me, like, you know, in the Bible, they say, you know, um, you're filthy rags. I'll have to find the scripture because I don't want to misquote it and people be like, what's she talking about? But um, it's something about filthy rags. So I'll find it and I'll reference it. But um, I didn't want to hear about me being filthy rags or dirt or anything that wasn't good. You know, like I wanted to know that when I was created in the image of God, that's what made me good. You know, even though I was born in sin, that didn't make me bad. And I needed somebody to tell me that. But church people weren't saying that to me. No one was saying it to me. No one in my life, period. And so, this lady, her name is um, Esther, and it's called Abraham Hicks, and she talks about law of attraction, right, so of course, you know, I've always been taught, that's witchcraft, so, or that type of thing is witchcraft, even though I had never heard of law of attraction before this time, you know, um, so I was like, mm, nothing else is working, it's worth a try, you know, so I'll listen to her, and every day, I would get up, and I would listen to these, um, I guess I call them sermons because they kind of were. It was like group um, conferences that she would have to tell you how much of a powerful creator you were born to be and the ways that God set it up for you to be able to be a person whose words were living and you could manifest your desires and, you know, things like this. And I was like, wow, okay. Now this is something I can use because everybody at church was saying that I need to have faith, but nobody was telling me what that looked like. It was just saying, believe in as a mustard seed, but how do I believe when I don't believe? How, how do you fix that? You know. And what she would say was stuff like, do these I am affirmations in the mirror every day. Look at yourself. Like I never got taught that at church to look at myself in the mirror and, and present myself with the value that I was given by God the church didn't teach me that she did so I guess that's why I'm more of an open person in the ways that God can reach you because there is no way that God will stop until he reaches you so if it took me listening to esther tell me how valuable worthy and important i was to god i needed to hear that and everybody else was like you're ridiculous you shouldn't have to listen to this every day because i religiously woke up to listen to it i would wake up and find videos And and where she was actually teaching you things to do. You know, once you start changing your mindset, your thoughts are important. You know, you need to watch how you speak about yourself and to yourself and to others. All of these things. Is that not what God was teaching in the life and, and death is in the power of the tongue? Watch what you say. Be mindful of what you say. She told me how to do that. Church didn't teach me that. And it's not to say that church is bad. It's just that we've got to come up with a way to help people understand. If we don't come into this world or into this journey remembering, I'm gonna say remembering because I do believe we come here with the knowledge of, but due to experience on the journey, we forget, you know, how to implement or exercise maybe. And so that's what we're relearning while we're here. While carrying out our purpose. And so. When people ask me. Well Summer. What do you believe? What are you like? Are you a Christian? Are you a this? Are you a that? And I say. I don't believe God is concerned. With what you think my label should be. Because he only labeled me as his child. Whom he loves. And sacrificed everything for. He didn't say, if you don't say you're a Christian, he said, who will deny me? I'm not denying God at all in my practice and what I do. I'm denying the ego of the human person who thinks that they have the thoughts or the mindset of God because God already said, our thoughts are not his thoughts and our ways are not his way. I don't care how ordained you feel like you are, how much time you spend teaching other people to work, how much time you feel like you spent reading your Bible and thinking that you know what you know. Nobody trumps God on his kids, period. So even though I spent all that time feeling worthless, um, like I was going to hell anyway, because there was no way for me to live the, the life that was pleasing to God. It, um, it was easy for me to explore other things. And then for a second, I got to a point where I was like, Christianity is just white folks shit. This ain't even for black people. So I started looking into some other stuff at that point. I was like, I'm never going back to Christianity I don't care what nobody says. I don't care what nobody, like, whatever. Hell will be hot and I'll be on the way. Because I'm already headed there according to y'all anyway, so it don't even matter to me at this point. So, um, I just started looking into, well, what what other spiritual practices are there that I could possibly get into? So, I started reading tarot. I started, um... You know, doing candle um, magic and things I would find on the internet because I didn't really know where to go from there. Um, I was just looking for a new practice because I just didn't think Christianity worked for me. So I was like you know what, it's something else and I'm going to find that something else. So I did that and um, it did change things for me i'm gonna be honest through all of that um i became i believe more close to god than i was at first because i felt like i had more of an understanding of who i believe god wanted me to see him as opposed to um just something you read in a book and kind of just like, oh, okay, you know. Um, God showed me who I was to him directly in this story because through all of that, me saying I'm never going back to Christianity and all of that. And I have not been back to church. I will state that. So it don't seem like I'm being hypocritical because I'm not. Um I haven't been back to church but that does not mean that I gave up on God and God did, gave up on me because he didn't and how God came back for me or how God welcomed me back should I say because I don't believe God ever really left me but in order for you to know that God is God sometimes you have to be put in a circumstance or several of them where there is literally no one else who could be responsible for the outcome, except for God. And that's how you know. When I got my baby out that ceiling and she wasn't dead, I know God has got it and God still cares for me, because I would not have been able to survive that. I know that. I was too broken at that time. If my baby was not gonna be here, like her baby, she lost her baby, a baby she didn't get to raise. I had already raised that one. She was grown. If I was to lose that baby over a baby I didn't even get to know, and it sounds mean, but I didn't know that baby. Yes, that's my grandbaby, and. You know, I still, you know, feel connected to the spirit of that being, but I would have rather lost that baby than lose my baby. And I think that as a parent, you could probably relate to like I know my kid, I don't know that kid yet. So not to say that that baby don't belong or ain't loved or whatever, but I don't want to lose my I don't want to trade my kid for that kid. I don't. And um me getting out of that basement. And out of that poor relationship that I was in where I was being devalued, God snatched all of those things out of my life. And God allowed me to start over because my prayer was, God, if you could just help me with what I know now, back to a place with you that I was at when I was getting up at five o'clock in the morning without, I remember I told you? getting up to do the podcast at 5am I don't know sis I don't know if it's me it ain't me can't get up like that no more but I said I wanted the same relationship not the same exact but I wanted the same um, fire and zeal and uh, all of that for God that I had when I was getting up at 5am getting three kids ready and taking them to prayer at 6 o'clock in the morning I wanted that relationship back, where I talked to God in the car. I didn't even listen to the radio. I prayed constantly. When it, when when I say uh, pray without ceasing, I'm not joking about that. I wrote. I took uh, the Psalms and I rewrote songs. I mixed them. Um, mixed up the the Bible verses and made Psalms. And one of them is called um, Show Me Thy Ways, and it's just that scripture. Oh Lord, show me thy ways, teach me thy paths, Um, lead me in thy truth, cause you're the God of salvation, and on thee will I wait all day. I made a whole song out of this, which was probably already a song, but I remade it and pulled some things together. And I go back to that song and remember that song, because even though it was a song I wrote, I sang it to God every day because that's how close to God I wanted to be. And I wrote that song before I stopped talking to God, but God never let me forget the song, the melody of the song, how it went. And it will replay it in my mind. It would come up to me when people would talk to me about God and I would get to talking. And then they'd be like, wait a minute. Oh, you know God? Oh, wait, wait a minute. You're not, oh wait, you know? And then I'd be like, yeah. I don't want to talk about it, you know, because I don't want anybody else to have a nasty taste in their mouth about God based on listening to my story because my story isn't a negative thing. It's just to say we are allowed as human beings to feel because God allowed us to have our emotions and he never said that those emotions were bad. So why do we always think that it's only okay to be happy with God? We are allowed to question what's going on. And I remember coming up, you don't question God, you don't question God. Yes, you can. You can question God. The truth is still going to be the truth, no matter the question. But you can still ask. It's okay to ask. It's okay to need that clarity. It's okay to say, God, I don't see it working out. And I need to know what you need me to do. You know, these questions are necessary and they're okay to ask. Um, And I think it's important that even though I'm not, um, that I'm saying, I'm not going around saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, this and this. The reason why I'm not doing that is because I would rather not lose people by me feeling it's more important to tell them a name or a title when God said when when Moses was that Moses when Moses asked God uh in the burning bush when he said who are you and he said I am that I am know what scripture I'm talking about It'd be too many of them popping up. But anyways, so the the I am that I am comment leads me to say, he didn't say Jesus, Yahweh, Jehovah. I am everything that I am. And that's just it. I am everything and everything is me. So I don't feel like it's more important for me to have to put a label on my spiritual practices more than it is important for me to show God's love through who I am, how I am, you know, how I love because if somebody walked up to me to this day and never experienced God a day in their life ever and and they talked to me I would hope that through them seeing how I am or even conversing with me about, you know, anything that I've been through, that it would inspire them to want to get close to God for themselves. And that's my purpose. If I wondered the whole time, why am I here, God? Why did I go through so many different challenges and abuse and all of these things that just like a a very ugly story to tell, you know, it's like, dang, I didn't have no good stories. No good parts of the story feels like, you know, like all my stories are bad. I, I was ashamed of that for a long time that I didn't have a good story to tell. But the good news in the story is that God did not leave me. God did not let me break I might have got beat down pretty low, but I didn't break. Every single thing that was supposed to kill me did not. I took the pain that I had experienced and I turned it into two businesses. And I continue to not try to be anybody that's important necessarily to you, but it is important for me to leave you with a feeling and an experience that lets you know that if I could make it through all of the story you just heard and that ain't even all the details but if I could make it through that and be whole and healthy and healed and still in love with God then you can too And it doesn't have to be a particular person's way outside of yourself. Find your own relationship with God because it has to be personal. Your story is not going to be somebody else's story, period. So can't nobody tell you how to love God? Can't nobody tell you how to praise God? Can't nobody tell you how to worship God? He will show you. And if he got to keep running you through the ground to get you to understand that his grace is sufficient. I felt like, I I feel like there's any way I could have compared myself to Jesus. All of my life could probably be summed up since I don't look at a matter of time, a time window with God. All of that that happened prior to, could have just been me on the cross. You know, being, being, the sacrifice for my children and the legacy I I've come to leave behind um the people I'm supposed to help and save and change and bring um to this place you know that I finally was able to arrive at and if that's the only thing I do with my time here I feel like it would be so much bigger than being rich and famous and important or any of those things, any material thing that I could gain, I don't have a whole lot. But I'm authentic, and I love people, um, and I I don't want to see them hurting. Um, and anything that I'm doing, um, for them, with them, through them is not for you to say, "Hey, summer, great job." God has put me in a position to be able to understand and relate to so many different people on so many different levels and it just makes me more so um, a better servant. And that's it. Since I don't
0: know whether I want to give you a hug and just throw my shoe at (laughs) you.
1: Just do both. I don't know. Oh, summer.
0: Well, listen, all I can say is thank you so so much for sharing your testimony today. I'm not finna do see this one. I can't do this with y'all, man.
1: (laughs) You get no question. I'm sorry. It's
0: fine. I mean, cause I don't even know what, like, okay. I, I, I'm i trying to say thank you for sharing your testimony. Because um, at the end of the day, we don't know who's going to see this. We don't know who's going to watch this. But I just really feel like that if they, if they like me, listen to your whole testimony, that, you know, that there's a lot of gems that was dropped. There's a lot of highs and lows, yes, but... At the end of the day, for you to be in the place that you are now and like you said, still be a love guy God and, and everything like that. That's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful testimony. And your life is not over, sis. Like she ain't even told y'all about the degree she got. She ain't even told oh, y'all yeah. about, about all the other blessings that she's even encountered, maybe even over passing months or whatever in case he's over past or whatever. So um I'm just, like I said, I tell you all the time, though, I mean, you know, I, I've seen the growth in the little times that I've known you, you know, and and the changes and, and things like that. Now, obviously, you know, I and you probably know all the details of different stuff, but, you know, that's why when I see you win and I see, you like, you know, you know, put your love into your businesses and your art and everything like that, I'm just like, man, I'm so happy, or, man, I'm so proud of, man, you know. Just to try to celebrate you or whatever, just to, to let you know that, yo, somebody sees that you know what you're doing, and so um, and but anyway, we ain't gotta. Okay, well, I'll just. Okay, so what happened was what ran through my mind is like more really <laughs> cool about me, but I, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, people you meet people, you encounter people or whatever. Um, you don't know why, you don't know the rhyme or reason. Like for me, I think my thing is just more so just, I'm like, hey, you know, everybody, hey, use your gifts. Or hey, you know, share my little testimonial, like me just stepping out on faith to do certain things or whatever. But other than that, I would sit here and be like, I- again, anything that I've done, I feel like anybody can do, you know? and. um so, but I mean I think even your conversation, even the conversation we're having now, just for me it means a lot because it's like, wow. But one, we wouldn't be having this conversation if you know, what God had put it on your heart to and then be all your heart, you know. And then say if I did, it was like last year, around this time, still there, like, oh, it's COVID. I'm not gonna be no nothing. I'm just gonna be, you know what I mean? we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. And who knows, again, who knows who's gonna watch it. So all of this stuff comes together in such a beautiful way that when you really, really think about everything, that's just, that's that next level thing. And that's that thing that you can say that is proof that it's only God putting it together. Like I can't sit here and take no credit really for like, at the end of the day, all I can say is that all I did was be like, hey, I got this idea, I wanna do it, right? But not knowing that one a year later I still be doing it. One, two, we were gonna have this beautiful conversation tonight. You know what I'm saying? And and just all the beautiful, like, I don't know. Th- these are things that blow my mind about God and about just everything that I've experienced in my life. And that's why I'm just like, you know, hey, Lord don't trust you, whatever you wanna do, what you wanna do. Um and and he just been showing up and showing out, you know? Um, so. Girl, I know we can go on and on. Um, But like I said, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing the testimony. I don't know if there's anything else you want to bless the
1: people with before we stop recording. You know, I think so. I, I guess I could just say, just please just don't stop. Don't ever stop trying. Even if it seems like God doesn't hear you, just don't ever stop talking it's just important to keep speaking it because whether you think that God's voice should be a loud voice in your ear, or I don't know how you expect it to come to you, but if it came to you in your thoughts and your voice is God. And just trust that, trust your intuition that God left you a comforter, someone who was going to be able to communicate with you when you felt like he couldn't, or you couldn't communicate with him. And we just need to learn how to trust that more. And I've, and I believe that's the that's the way to, to faith. Believing the believing and standing on the promises of God, even though everything around you circumstantially or the people that are in your lives um make it opposite or make it seem like it doesn't exist. God is in every single thing that you're doing. Um even when you ain't doing good, God can't look at you while you're in it but he's still there. It's just like, I gotta hold your hand because I can't leave you, but I can't watch you do this mess. But in the end, if you just agree to say that the work that God um, is doing in me, I won't quit until it's a finished work, then everything you, want because that's putting the kingdom of God first and then everything else will be added onto you because God want us to be wealthy and living our dreams and happy and all of those things that's the promise if you just go ahead and handle the kingdom business first all of the other business is handled for you do I not make sure you eat do I not make sure uh the the birds eat the 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 lizards eat, the worms eat, the grass eats. The grass, honey, because that's living too. The, I, I feed the grass, okay? I make sure it is beautiful and green and coming up out the ground like it's supposed to. What more would I give to you when I built you to trample the grass? What more do I would I be willing to offer to you? And if you really, really believe that, even when it looks like that's not what's going on, that's the mustard seed of faith. It doesn't look like this. But I believe that what, when God spoke the word, that he has to, and this is what God said to you, my word will not return unto me, vo- unto me void. And what does that mean? Would I, if I said it, baby, I meant it. It's going to happen. Because my word, that's the type of God I am. If I spoke it, honey, ain't no way you're going to make me out a lie. So that means it's going to happen. Now, your timetable and God's timetable is different. But the end result is still the end result if you keep the faith in God's promises. And that's the only thing I'm saying. God's promise. That's it. Just the promise that was made. When I when I gave my son for your life, I promised you that all you had to do was believe in me. And the rest is, is a done deal. And I think that that's why now things are happening for me because I'm now in a place where people actually are looking at me like, oh my God, I can't believe you did that, or you did that, or you did that, and, you know, and I all I can say at this point is, that's just the never give up, that is the, the no matter what you're going through with God, still acknowledging God in everything, because God is in everything, and no matter what road you take, no matter how off course you went, no matter what other things that you pick up on and decide to practice and do that, you know, that are not for God, you know, or God, for God's glory. You have every opportunity when he wakes you up with each new morning to decide to do something different. I'm finna go, so you better tell the people tell them. <laughs> That's it. It's, it's real that simple. And I just wish somebody had just walked me through it a little bit like this clearly. You know, like just like a little, little bitty small infant, toddler. You wouldn't tell a toddler, have faith. No, you would say, I got you, baby, right? You can jump, come into my arms. Let me show you that you can trust me. But God is doing that every day. We just refuse to make ourselves vulnerable enough to put it all on the line and wait for God to show and prove. And that's why a lot of times we hit in our head because I got to knock you down because you're ignorant. You're going to trust yourself until you can't trust you. You're going to trust everybody outside of me until you can't trust everybody outside of me. And when that day, if I got to go through all this to break you down, somebody got to die. Somebody got to get hurt. I don't know what I got to do to wake you up, but I'm going to shake you until you woke. Man, girl,
0: all of that, y'all, all of that. Like, if you look, if you made it to this spot right here, man, you, you done love with something today. this was your
1: word, if you got to this, to this moment, oh, this was your message.
0: Listen, you done, you done, look, and listen, if somebody didn't receive something from your whole thing today, I'm talking about something for the church folks. Church folks, this means we need to be on our jobs and being for real, not with the faith. Need to be real about what we do, especially for God. Because I don't know, I talked about that with the last person on, uh, about with the church first conversation. Y'all go back to that episode, we'll hear all that. But uh, it's just, yeah, for the church people, for those that aren't there, you know. So, man, I'm telling you, sis, like,
1: anytime, listen, I want to just put this out there for anybody. Like, it, I'm open to anyone who would like to you know talk to me or would like for me to talk to um you know a group of people um you know just to let them know because there's so many areas that we touched upon in my story um that you know that can pull from and it's 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 people out here that are hurting and they don't have anybody or the people that they do have don't understand their plight you know they ain't been through the same things so even though they telling them god is is faithful and true if you ain't been through it it's a lot of times hard for those people to believe that you know what you talking about because you ain't been through what i've been through but i have and and i want to use my experience for something good you know and not that i haven't already but It has to be purpose inside of what I've been through. And I know that God did not bring me through all of that stuff just for it to just be sitting at the bottom of my testimony story. It's a reason for that. And it's so many lives and, you know, um, things that need to be changed and will be changed by knowing that this story um, you know, could, if it's yours, it could still, it still can turn out positive if you will allow that to happen.
0: I am so excited. I am so excited for you, sis. Like I feel like this, this is about to be a little, we on something good. I ain't just talking about this episode with you. I'm talking about you ain't period. So, um, man, listen, we gonna be on the same. Thank you so much for tuning in. <laughs> Thank you. Much. I- so- Summer, and um, I'm gonna stop there. right there. <laughs> uh oh. There's no time to get my nails done. Oh, I know. I went to unwindselfcare.com and got my 100% nail polish strips. Thanks, Unwind self-care So much for watching, guys. Sex and love, and thank you to Miss Summer Sims for joining me tonight. Friends, I hope you all had a wonderful time with us, and I look forward to talking to you all next time. Good night. Uh oh, there's no time to get my nails done. Oh, I know. I went to unwindselfcare.com and got my 100% nail polish strips and why self-care.